I'm so glad each one of you are able to make it today. I am not ignorant of the fact that so many times Sundays are the only days that you literally have off. It didn't used to be that way, but it is pretty much in our culture. So if you come on a Sunday at 10 o'clock, my hope is that you're going to meet with God and meet with God's people and be able to get some wings, the wings you need for the rest of this day and for the rest of this week. Every Sunday, our community gathers to worship, to sing, and to pray, and to serve, and to give, and to open up God's Word. And we're going to do that today. We're going to continue our study in 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles or your flat screens, you can open up right to chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Peter, near the end of his life, shares with a group of kingdom patriots how to live as exiles, temporary residents, foreigners, sojourners, trying to figure out how to do life now even though our world and future is going to be very different. You know, the first century believers are trying to journey well between two worlds. Life is hard for those chosen by the king and only going to get harder in their hostile environment. So Peter focuses on his amazing God. He focuses on God's grace and mercy In fact, I think the people back in those days would probably have given their right arm to be in our worship service today. To be able to sing about an amazing and a big and a great and a wonderful God. Because especially when you're going through tough times, really hard times, you don't make sense of a lot of things. But you can hang on to your God. You can trust Him. And all of a sudden, His attributes begin to overwhelm you. And the sheer fact that you have a relationship with this God is so amazing. Peter focuses on a relationship that each one of us can have with Him. Peter focuses on fearing God, which is, the critical, which is so critical for us to be able to live in a world that we don't understand. Last week, we talked about people who fear God. They make amazing employees, wives, and husbands. You see, Peter wants his friends, in spite of their circumstances, to mature, to grow in their faith. He wants them to grow up, not just grow old. You see, parents delight when their kids mature, just don't get older. It is so important for you to be able to rear your children so that by the time they get to be 18 or 21 or 24 or 40, no, no, not, uh, that they're able to leave the house, be able to be Was there a clap there? Okay, good. 
to be able to be salt and light in our community, to be able to have conversations, be able to watch them mature and, and to make responsible choices. That's exactly what God wants for us. God doesn't want us hamstrung. God doesn't want us unable to move forward in our life where he's planted us. He desires that we thrive, literally. So today, Peter paints a picture showing us what maturity looks like so exiles can experience life. I've asked Chris to read our text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when, with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again just for the opportunity to open up your word. Lord, we expect for you to teach us. We know the Holy Spirit will be active, and we know, Lord, that there's areas in our life that we're blinded to. We also know, God, that there's some things that probably need to be chipped away. So we ask, Father, that you would teach us today, that you would help us hear from you, and that we would respond enthusiastically and quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. I think Peter gives us a snapshot of what a kingdom patriot living in a community under the authority of Jesus Christ looks like. Living as a God-loving exile in this present world. Peter sums up his God-inspired thoughts and then actually uses Psalm 34 to put some flesh on the bones. Peter shares what spirit-led exiles think, feel, do, and say in godless environments. Let's dig in. He starts off by saying this, finally, This is for all of you, and I'm going to summarize everything for all of you. This paragraph actually ends a section. We've been spending a whole lot of time just describing what a person who walks with God looks like. But at this moment, Peter just says, you know, I'm not so sure you're getting it, so I'm just going to spend the next few sentences kind of wrapping it up. Kind of making sure that you understand what's really, really important. And he says this, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I think probably every one of our hands would do this. Hey, sign me up. I I want that. Now, we've been talking a lot about suffering and a lot about things not always going my way, so I'm not sure where Peter's going at this moment, 
but I want to be part of the, the gang that experienced this abundant living. So if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, live in a unified, sympathetic, tender-hearted, humble, and forgiving community. In fact, circumstances don't matter much if you're part of a great community like this. God has called you to live like this. And if we do, God says he will bless you. He'll bless you. Wow. This is exciting, but this is also overwhelming. Because if we're honest, most of us see parts of this in a community or in a family, but it hardly ever comes together perfectly. Yet who wouldn't want to live in a world in the midst of a community like this? So let's look at what a spirit-led community looks like. A community where people enjoy life and see many happy days. The first thing that Peter focuses on is says this. A spirit-led community is unified. It, is, it has oneness of heart. It agrees in mission, in doctrine, in purpose. He's not talking about uniformity or unanimity, which is agreement by all people. He's talking about harmony. Now again, every one of us, when you hear somebody sing, and even if they're really, really good, and only one person sings, they can only do so much. But if you can add other voices, or you add instruments, or you add all these different things, all of a sudden your experience explodes. There's a group called Pentatonics. And they have an amazing skill to be able to sing and not use any instruments. Now the video clip I'm going to show you is a Christmas song. <laughs> Just so you know, I know it's a Christmas song. It's called Mary Did You Know, and I love the message, and I think that you're going to enjoy a group that starts off in unison at times, and then all of a sudden cranks it out in an unbelievable display of what harmony is supposed to sound like. Let's watch it.
You know, I don't know if you even understand how beautiful that is. It, it just is. It's one or two or three people, all with different skill sets, all with different ranges, all with different rhythm. And all of a sudden, these guys come together, and it is amazing. Not only the message, but the sound. And that is really what Peter is trying to say about the community. It's going to look really different. It's going to look all different sizes and shapes. But one of the things that's really, really important is that you are unified. You're singing the same song. In Psalm 34, 14, the psalmist says, Search for peace and work hard to maintain it. At the end of Jesus' life in John 17, the last few words that he had right before the Last Supper, right before he went to the garden, right before he got crucified, he prayed a prayer. He first prayed a prayer for the disciples that were around the table. But then he prayed a prayer for you and for me. It kind of gets me goosebumps that that Jesus cared 2,000 years later for the church. And he basically prayed this. He goes, I want the church, the community, those who are my disciples, those who are following me, I want them to be unified. I want them to be focused, just like the Father and I 
are unified. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, listen to what he says, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. In fact, I think one of the greatest testimonies that any church will ever have is that it is a church that is unified and that loves each other. I cannot tell you over the years how hard it's been to be part of congregations or scenarios where either staff people or part of the flock are disheartened. And they feel it's more important for them to get their rights or their ways and split or fracture a church. I don't get it. I don't see it. And everybody in the neighborhood sees it and understands, oh, you know, those Christians, or they can't get along, or why would I even step into that building? They're fighting and bickering. God says a community of His is unified. He also says this, spirit-led communities show sympathy to one another. I'm pretty convinced that people need relationships with each other in order to be sympathetic. Now granted, we all get news lines or broadcasts and you'll see where avalanches happen or you'll hear of a horrendous crash or you'll get wind of someone in the neighborhood maybe that has some kind of a horrible health situation. And our hearts get heavy when we hear that. But there is something about someone in a community that you know, someone that you have a relationship with, and they walk into the room, they look at you, and they say, the doc just told me I have cancer. Wow. It's so different. But a community that grows together is one that expresses sympathy one for another. Some of you know the Vasey's story. But about five years ago, little Audrey's, well, little Audrey's birthday is today for one thing. All right. So happy birthday, Audrey. All right. But just about the time that Audrey was born, Matt and Dana became part of this fellowship. I wasn't around, but they shared with me a little bit of what it meant to have the support of a community, praying for them, encouraging them, sympathizing with them, walking with them through this part, hard scenario in their life. But you see, sympathy... It's something that we literally suffer with or alongside or the same as. Real communities or families suffer together. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, the author of Hebrews writes this, You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all of you, um, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember, 
there is a great reward for you. Hey, when you were tossed in jail, we hurt. When you were suffering, we understood. We went alongside of you. You know, um, in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to uh, turn over there to chapter 1. Uh, we, we look again as the Apostle Paul kind of shares what, what sympathy looks like. Starting at verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is merciful, Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God can shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we can certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Paul says this, we, we go through tough times so we can experience how wonderful and amazing God is and also so that when others go through tough times that we might be able to walk with them, encourage them. That's what a community does. When Dave says he's away for one Sunday and misses the community of God, He's not just talking to a bunch of friends that are just hang out and just share with one another. He's talking about a family that he's lived here with a long time and he's can walk through the hard times in life with. You know, I think in James chapter 5 verse 13, James just says this, hey, if any of you are suffering, any of you are discouraged, Pray. Ask someone to come and pray with you. There is nothing more comforting for me as a pastor to be able to meet with people and encourage them and to pray for them on God's behalf. But I can also tell you this. There's nothing more comforting when people surround me and pray for me. There is a sense that you empathize with people and encourage people by you talking to God on their behalf. But I also want to say this. I think sometimes when somebody goes through a hard time, it isn't always for us to bail them out. I think that's where we walk with God and we listen to God in different ways. But I don't want to get in God's way as God is refining different people. In Psalm 119, verse 71, the psalmist says this, My suffering was good for me, and it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. So there's a part of walking with God so well that you know when to put your arms around someone, and when you know to pat them on the back, and you say, you know what, there's some lessons here. I want to walk with you, but I just don't want to make sure that there is no suffering involved. You know, a spirit-led community also loves one another as brothers and sisters. At the beginning of the year, we went over the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great uh, Invitation. These are three critical passages that you'll hear over and over and over again as we teach from this pulpit. But one of the things Jesus said in Matthew 22, which is called the Great Commandment, 
He said, what's the most important thing? Well, the most important thing is that I want you to love God with all of your heart and love others as you love yourself. You see, a spirit-led community will give up your life or place your family's needs above yours. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at what it means to love our brothers and sisters probably in two weeks, maybe three weeks. So I'm going to move to the next one. Spirit-led communities are humble. They focus outward. They think more of others than themselves. Again, in the great invitation, when Jesus himself was teaching the multitudes, in Matthew chapter 11, he said, hey, I want you to take my yoke and put it on you. And I want you to do life with me. I want you to be yoked up with me. And then Jesus says this, I want you to learn from me because I am gentle and humble. How sweet is that? Again, if we get confused at times in what humility looks like, we only need to read through the Gospels. And we see how Jesus interacted with different people and how he responded and how he looked after others and put them before himself. You know, spirit-led communities are also tender-hearted and forgiving. You know, I put them together because I actually think tender-hearted and forgiving does go together. Paul talks about living as children of light, putting a new nature actually on. He uses the term often as take off your old self, take off your flesh, take off, well, the sin nature. He uses all that kind of term like it's clothing. And he says, what I want you to do is put on my clothes. Because as you spend time with me, I'm going to dress you differently. You're going to respond differently to people. You're going to react differently to people. So put on what I give you to put on. In fact, I'd like to read. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 23. Instead, Paul says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on, like clothing, your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And then in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness or take it off, take these clothes off, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all kinds of evil behavior. And then verse 32, 
Instead, put on, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Spirit-led communities are tender and are forgiving. They don't repay evil for evil. They don't retaliate with insults, speaking mostly about our tongue and how we speak to people. And in Psalm 34, which again, Peter goes back to at least in this in, in this whole scenario and reminds us of the psalmist's words. He says, keep your tongue from speaking evil and telling lies. Again, I don't know who struggles with honesty, with telling the truth. I don't know who is sitting here if you have a sharp tongue. And you love ripping people apart. And you might even be really, really good at it. But I know this, is that God becomes part of our lives. Some of the things we used to say, or used to talk about, or used to laugh at, or used to do, they get put on the side. You see, our words can, I'm sorry, our words can either heal or harm In Psalm 141, verse 3, the psalmist writes, Lord, guard my lips, take control of what I say, because I know if I am left to myself, I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say. Not only that, but the obedient bless the ones who have hurt them. Again, in the kingdom... The rules have changed. Jesus came to to usher in a new way of living and listening obediently to the king. And he says, not only, well, do kingdom people not lie and not retaliate, but kingdom people bless those who hurt them. Absolutely ridiculous. If you look at it. But that's what Jesus did. Ultimately, our model when he was mistreated, which was often the case, but totally on the cross, he said some things that just don't make sense. He had absolute confidence in his father, but forgiving people who have just demeaned him, whipped him, spit upon him, crucified him? Nobody has the courage to do that unless God is living within you. But what actually does blessing others mean? I think blessing others is loving them unconditionally in John chapter 13. I think blessing others is praying for people uh, in spite of what you feel about people. I think believers can bless people by expressing gratitude for them. Maybe finding spots and and parts 
that you can actually thank God for. And lastly, I think blessing people is when believers are to forgive those who persecute them or hurt them. Now God says this through Peter. In verse 9 and verse 12, there's two, two promises. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And here's the promise. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. At the end of our Psalm 34 passage, which is really verse 12, Peter says this, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. God just shouts out and says, I I want to bless you. I want you to listen to me, and I want you to be blessed. Now the question really comes down to this. How do we become more of that type of person or that type of community of exiles who can thrive in a harsh world, a family that better reflects these godly characteristics? Although our cross-point community often shows these characteristics, we need to grow as a church in this area too. But how do we mature? How do we grow? How do we get the power to live more consistently like this? Now, I do think that large families have a little bit of an advantage. I know as a youth pastor, as I interacted with families where there was only one child, Now, there could be many reasons for that. But the truth is that one child was pretty much a prima donna. Just letting you know. I'm sorry if you're only, you know, you're the one child kind of family here at this moment. But really, everything revolved around that one child. It was just like, oh, wow, you know, what do you need? How can I help you? Let's do this, whatever. And you even talk as a three-year-old or four-year-old, you know, to this one child, you know, logically and, and so on. You go like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to figure this out. But then you add two children or three children. Or some people, like, have seven children, you know. And who knows if they're stopping right there, you know. But I know this. You go into families that are large and you see this. And some of you have grown up in families like this. You you know what? Selfishness is really hard. You know, you serve a meal. And it's got to go around. I mean, when someone messes up, it affects six, seven, eight, nine different people. And that's kind of how it is in God's family. It's quite large. And what we learn to do is find out we always don't get the dark meat in the chicken. Doesn't that bug you when someone like takes that thigh right in front of you? Like that thigh had my name on it. It bothers you. But all of a sudden you, well, it just doesn't matter as much. I think, how do we do this? How do we grow as individuals? How do we grow as a church? You need to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. 
Our folks walk individually with God by means of the Spirit. How do we have a community here that is loving and gracious and humble and sympathetic and caring? It's because we're going to have 200 or 250 people who walk with God and listen to God and allow God to be able to chip away all the things that mar the reflection of himself. Every one of us need to grow in areas. But as we individually walk by means of the Spirit, which simply means listening or responding to the Spirit in every area of our lives. i got to be honest with you. Yesterday morning wasn't so good in the wager household. Yeah. I am preparing, just working on this, and just looking at the different situations. The illustrations. My wife walks in my office. For one thing, she's not allowed to walk in my... No, I'm just... She walks in my office. She sits down on the couch. I know I'm in trouble. It's just like, okay, forget this. Let's just focus on my dear Sharoni, you know. And I look at her, and what does she do is go on and say, you know what, Rick, you have been so, she is very kind terms, but distracted. All right? I've been sharing with you one, two, three, four very private things I can't even go into, but they were all very important. And she says, you really haven't cared a lick. And I said, wait a minute, I'm teaching about sympathy tomorrow. I have to be really good at this if I'm going to teach it. Dogs. You know, that was not a three-minute conversation. And it wasn't because of Sharon. I said, wow. How could I miss this? How could I be so dense? I thought for sure I was sympathetic to your feelings and honoring you in every way. No, 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 F. You know, not only did my wife share with me, but I I had to go back to God. See, you know what, God, my intention was not to be not sympathetic. My intention was to love her and honor her and encourage her and strengthen her. But for some reason, this didn't go well this last week. So would you help me? Would you give me some different eyes? I can try really hard, but you know what? We're going to have the same conversation next Saturday if I'm trying hard. Isn't that sad? Because I'm dumb. What I need is the Holy Spirit to be able to convict me and chip away and open up my eyes so that I'm not so focused on Rick. That's what I need. And and this is what really Paul is saying. 
He's saying, what I want you to do is walk by means of the Spirit. Everything, you listen to me, you let me shape you, you you obey me quickly and ruthlessly, and I'll take care of the situation. You see, listening and responding to the Spirit means that when you are convicted of sin, you confess it immediately. Because God knows how to convict. God uses people. God uses his word mostly. But as you read it, if there's an area, oh, whoa, Lord. Would would you change that in me? I, I don't have the capacity to love that person or to be caring or even be sympathetic right now. Respond to what you hear. Because God will produce the fruit in you. We all want to be able to have households that reflect who God is accurately. We all want to have a church that is an amazing community. But the bottom line, it always starts with us. It starts with us walking with God, spending time with God, listening to God, opening up His Word. It spends time, it, it begins there so that when God wants to chip away a forked tongue, when all of a sudden you're apologizing to your boss or to your wife or to your kids because you laid into them and you know it wasn't right. That's what God does. And then he puts us in family, community. And we are able to begin to reflect that to others. Because that's what family is. Remember this, if you have some time, you can read John chapter 15. That was a little bit before John 17 when he was praying. And Jesus was preaching here. He was talking about him being a vine and his dad being a farmer and we being branches. And no kidding, in the first 10 verses, there weren't verses back then, but but they're verses now. In the first 10 verses, Jesus said, remain in me. 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 I think that's six times. Like disciples, you're dense. I spent three years with you. You want to bear fruit? You want to be the community that I've called you to be? You know what? You can try all you want. In fact, you just told me that you will never leave me. I will always honor you, God. And you all ran like scared little kids. Everything we try to do ourselves kind of fails. It just does. But as we spend time with our God, as we walk by means of the Spirit, as we listen, as we're Spirit-led, as the Spirit prompts us, as the Spirit convicts us, the Spirit lives in you. You're able to respond. You know, I am glad that God promises to bless us as we live like this. Our text clearly teaches that one proper motive for righteous living is the knowledge that such conduct will bring great blessing. But these may take different forms, 
but in the view of the quotation from Psalm 34. We who are obedient can expect to include loving life, seeing good days, having God's eyes upon us, to care for our needs, and to having his ears open to hear and answer our prayers. But remember the context. In the larger context of the book of 1 Peter, such blessings do not include freedom from opposition or suffering. The blessings of the New Testament age generally, genuine, generally, whoa, I must mean I need to close, are more spiritual, psychological, and interpersonal and less material or physical. What I'd like to say is this. Let's mature personally and then together. I hope you're encouraged. Not that we're going to change tomorrow, but as we walk with God, God changes us first and then changes our community. Father, I do thank you for your grace. I thank you, dear Lord, that that you care so much about your church. Lord, in spite of circumstances or situations or who our boss is or who our spouse is or who our kids are, we know, God, that you care about us deeply. We ask, Lord, that, that we would hear your voice louder than we hear ours, that we would respond quicker And we normally respond that you, God, would be honored in our lives, in our words, in our actions. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.